0: On today's Alight on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess Derling. Today, Malin narrates the first part of the 16th chapter titled The Summer Palace. We will delve into Her Majesty's birthday celebration in detail, which provides a rare chance for us to familiarize ourselves with the rituals and etiquette of the times. just about the end of
1: the ninth moon, Her Majesty began to tire of doing nothing day after day and said, What is the use of waiting until the first of the month to have the theatrical performance? Let us have a performance tomorrow. So she gave instructions for the eunuchs to prepare for the play, which should be staged without the assistance of any outside actors. I might here mention that certain of the eunuchs were specially trained as actors and used to study their parts every day. Indeed, they were far cleverer than the professionals from outside. Her Majesty gave the head eunuch the list of the plays she wished to be performed, which were, for the most part, dramatized fairy tales, and we had a performance the next day. After Her Majesty had gone to rest in the afternoon, during the theatrical performance, I met the Emperor returning to his own palace. I was surprised to see only one eunuch in attendance. This was the Emperor's own private eunuch, and he trusted him implicitly. He asked me where I was going, and I told him I was going to my room to rest a while. He remarked, that he had not seen me for quite a long time, which made me laugh as I saw him every morning at the audience. He said, "'I don't get as much chance of chatting with you as formerly since this portrait painting began. I'm afraid I'm not making much progress with my English as I have nobody to help me. Now that your time is occupied with this lady artist,' You appear to enjoy your company very much. All the same, I suppose it is very monotonous. Has she found out yet that you are there simply to keep an eye upon her? I told him that I was very careful not to betray myself in any way and that I did not think she suspected she was being watched. The emperor then said, I understand there is a rumor to the fact that that when this lady has finished Her Majesty's portrait, she's going to paint mine. I should very much like to know who says so. I told him this was the first I had heard about it, so could not say. I asked him whether he would like to have his portrait painted by. He only answered, that is rather a difficult question for me to answer. You know, best whether I ought to have it painted or not. I see Her Majesty having so many photographs taken and uh, even the eunuchs are in the picture. I understood at once what he meant, so I asked him if he wished me to take him with my little Kodak. He looked surprised and asked, Can you take pictures too? If it is not too risky for us, we might try it some day when we have an opportunity, don't forget, but I think we must be very careful. He then changed the conversation by saying, well, now that we have time to talk, I want to ask you a question and I expect you to answer me truly. What is the general opinion amongst the foreigners regarding myself? Do they consider me a man of character, and do they think me clever? I am very anxious to know. Before I could say anything in answer to this question, he continued, I know very well that they regard me as nothing more than a boy and as being of no consequence at all. Tell me, is not this so? I replied that many foreigners had asked me about him, as to what kind of man he was, but that they had never expressed any opinion of their own regarding him, excepting that they understood he was in the best of health. If any wrong impression does exist regarding myself and my position at the court, continued the emperor, It is owing to the very conservative customs of the Chinese court. I am not expected to either say or do anything on my own initiative. Consequently, outsiders never hear much about me, and I'm regarded as being nothing more than a figurehead. I know this is so. Whenever they ask you about me in the future, just explain to them exactly what my position here is. I have plenty of ideas regarding the development of this country, but you know I'm not able to carry them out as I am not my own master. I don't think the Empress Dowager herself has sufficient power to alter the state of things existing in China at present, and even if she has, she's not willing to. I'm afraid it will be a long time before anything can be done towards reform. The emperor went on to say how nice it would be if he were allowed to travel about from place to place, the same as the European monarchs. But of course, such a thing was out of the question for him. I told him that several princesses had expressed a wish to visit the St. Louis exposition and said, I thought it would be a good thing if that could be arranged as they would see for themselves the difference between their own country and customs and foreign countries and customs. The emperor expressed doubts as to this permission being granted as such a thing had never been heard of before. We talked for quite a long time, mostly about foreign customs, and the emperor remarked that he would very much like to visit Europe and see for himself how things were carried on there. Just then, one of my eunuchs came and said, Her Majesty was awake, so I had to hurry off to her room. We now arrive at the tenth moon. The first day it snowed and the head eunuch inquired of Her Majesty whether it was her intention to celebrate her birthday at the Summer Palace as usual. As previously explained, the Summer Palace was Her Majesty's favorite place of abode, so she replied in the affirmative and arrangements were accordingly made for the celebration to be held there as usual. The head eunuch then brought Her Majesty a list, giving the names and ranks of all the princesses and the names of the wives and daughters of the Manchu officials, and she selected those whom she wished to be present at the celebrations. On this occasion, she selected 45 ladies who were duly informed that she desired their presence at the palace. I was standing behind Her Majesty's chair all this time and she turned and said Usually I do not ask many people to my birthday celebrations, but on this occasion I have made an exception as I want you to see the way they dress and how ignorant they are of court etiquette. The celebration commenced on the sixth day of the tenth moon. Miss Carl Having returned to the American legation in Peking for the time being, my mother, my sister, and myself went back to the palace again. Early on the morning of the 6th, the eunuchs decorated the verandas with different colored silks and Han lanterns all over the place and amassed the trees.
0: Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit and story of the Chinese people.
1: At about seven o'clock in the morning, the visitors began to arrive and I quite agreed with what Her Majesty had told me about them. The eunuchs introduced them to all the court ladies, but they seemed to have very little to say, appearing very shy. They were then conducted to the waiting room, but there were so many of them that we court ladies had to stand outside on the veranda. Some of them were very expensively dressed, but their colors were, for the most part, very old-fashioned, and their manners very awkward. We watched them for quite a while and then went off to report to Her Majesty. On such occasions as this, Her Majesty was generally in pretty good spirits. She commenced asking us a lot of questions. Amongst other things, She asked whether we had noticed an elderly lady among the visitors, dressed as a bride. She explained that this lady was the only Menchu lady present who was married to a Chinese official and had been invited because of her previous connection with the court. Her Majesty said that she had never seen her herself, but understood that she was a very clever woman. We had not noticed such a person and suggested that perhaps she had not yet arrived. Her Majesty dressed very quickly and as soon as she was ready she came into the hall where the head eunuch brought in the visitors and presented them to Her Majesty. We court ladies were all standing in a row behind the throne. As they came in, some kowtowed, others courtesied while others did not do anything at all. In fact, nobody appeared to know what to do with herself. Her Majesty spoke a few words of welcome and thanked them for the presents they had sent her. I would like to say here that, contrary to the general idea which exists, Her Majesty always expressed her thanks for any present or service rendered, no matter How insignificant! Her Majesty could see plainly that everybody was embarrassed and ordered the head eunuch to show them to their respective rooms and told them to make themselves at home and go and take a rest. They hesitated a moment, not knowing whether to go or not, until Her Majesty said to us, Take them and present them to the young empress. When we arrived at the palace of the young empress, they were duly presented and were not nearly so shy as before. The young empress informed them that in case they desired to know anything to be put right on any point of court etiquette, the court ladies would be pleased to give them all necessary information and she decided that the best way would be for each court lady to have charge of so many of the visitors, as it would not be nice to have any mistakes occur during the ceremony on the 10th. So we each were allotted so many guests and had to look after them and instruct them how to act on the different occasions. During Her Majesty's afternoon rest, I paid a visit to the guests I was to take charge of. Among them was the bride referred to by Her Majesty. So I went and made myself agreeable to her and found her very interesting. She had evidently received a good education, unlike the majority of Manchu ladies, as I found she could read and write Chinese exceptionally well. I then explained to all of them what they would have to do and how to address Her Majesty should it be necessary to do so. I don't know whether I have mentioned it previously, but whenever anybody spoke to Her Majesty, they always addressed her as Great Ancestor. And when referring to themselves, instead of the pronoun I, they would say, Your slave. In all Manchu families, A similar rule is observed. The pronouns you and I being dispensed with and the titles mother and father and the sons or daughter's first name being substituted. Her Majesty was very particular about this rule being strictly observed. For the next four days until the day of the ceremony, these visitors passed their time in learning the court etiquette and going to the theater. Every morning, as usual, we waited on Her Majesty and reported anything of interest which had occurred during the previous day. Then we all preceded Her Majesty to the theater, where we awaited her arrival standing in the courtyard. On Her Majesty appearing, we would all kneel down until she had passed into the building opposite the stage, kneeling in rows, first the emperor, behind him the young princess, next the secondary wife, then the princesses and court ladies, and last of all the visitors.
0: Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit and story of the Chinese people.
1: The first two days, everything went off all right. But on the third morning, the Emperor, from whom we received the signal, suddenly turned and said, Her Majesty is coming. Down we all went on our knees, the Emperor alone remaining standing and laughing at us. Of course, there was no sign of Her Majesty, and everybody joined in the laugh. He was never so happy as when he could work off a joke like this. On the evening of the 9th, none of the court ladies went to bed, as we all had to be up betimes on the morning of the 10th. The visitors were told to proceed by chair to Her Majesty's special audience hall on the top of the hill, where they were to await our arrival. They arrived at the audience hall at 3 o'clock in the morning, and we followed soon afterwards, arriving there about daybreak. By and by, Her Majesty arrived, and the ceremony commenced. This ceremony in no way differed from the one previously described in connection with the Emperor's birthday, so there's no need to give particulars except one thing. Very early on the morning of the 10th, we had to bring another present to her, and each of us brought a hundred birds of various kinds. Each year, On her birthday, Her Majesty did a very peculiar thing. She would buy 10,000 birds with her own money from her private purse and set them free. It was a very pretty sight to see those huge cages hung in the courtyard of the audience hall. Her Majesty would select the most lucky hour and order the eunuchs to carry the cages and to follow her. The hour selected was four o'clock in the afternoon. Her Majesty took the whole court with her to the top of the hill where there was a temple. First she burned sendo wood and offered up prayers to the gods. Then the eunuchs, each with a cage of birds, knelt in front of Her Majesty, and she opened each cage one after another and watched the birds fly away and prayed to the gods that these birds should not be caught again. Her Majesty did this very seriously and we asked each other in whispers which bird we thought was the prettiest and would like to keep it for ourselves. Among this lot there were a few parrots. Some were pink, others were red and green. All were chained on stands and when the eunuchs broke the chains, the parrots would not move. Her Majesty said, "'How funny! Each year a few parrots will not go away at all, "'and I have kept them until they died. "'Look at them now, they won't go away.' "'By this time the head eunuch arrived. "'Her Majesty told him what had happened, "'and he immediately knelt down and said, "'Your Majesty's great luck. "'These parrots understand your Majesty's kindness.' and would rather stay here and serve your majesty. This ceremony is called fang shen It is considered a very meritorious action and will not fail of reward in heaven. One of the court ladies asked me what I thought of the Paris that would not fly away, and I told her that it was really very strange. She said, it is very simple and not strange at all. These eunuchs, ordered by the head one, have bought these parrots long ago and trained them. During Her Majesty's afternoon rest, these parrots were brought to the top of the very same hill every day to accustom them to the place. The object of this is just to please and otherwise fool Her Majesty to make her feel happy and... um, Believe that she is so merciful that even such dumb things would rather stay with her. Continuing, she said, The huge joke is this. While Her Majesty is letting the birds free, there are a few eunuchs waiting at the rear of the hill to capture them and sell them again. And so, no matter how Her Majesty prays for their freedom, they will be caught at once.
0: And that was from the 16th chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Stirling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the second part of the chapter. sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese.